0: podcast one production from the inside with Peter Ricks
1: Peter Ricks is an Australian music industry veteran who has spent his life working in and around the music business in Australia In this series, he'll be introducing you to some of his old music industry friends. This is part two of his conversation with Harvey Lister, chairman and CEO of AEG Ogden, manager of the largest network of venues in Asia Pacific. In this part, they look at the rise of AEG Ogden and its venues, along with Harvey's all-time favourite moments in music.
0: All right, so let's let's gently move forward because your journey has evolved from really Queensland into international, international, mm. and then somewhere along the way, um, you ended up with a global partner
2: in AEG. Yeah, so before AEG and the. Um, in the late 90s, um, the New South Wales government uh, had engaged us to advise them on what they were doing with Olympic facilities in Sydney. And uh, and I'd been... Um, this was um, after the Olympic Games? It was before the Olympic Games. Oh. And we provided... Uh, advice on the aquatic centre at Sydney Olympic Park. Uh, we tended for its management, looked as though we were going to win, so the whole process was stopped and, and you know, things that happened. But, but government came back to us when they were doing the big stadium. So Stadium Australia for the Olympics uh, and government had said to us, we think that the best... The only outcome that there's going to be is the government will run this stadium, we'll, we'll build this stadium, we'll deliver it. We have to. It's the centrepiece for Sydney's Olympic Games. Uh, but, but we do have an obligation to go out with a process. So what we'd like to do is engage you, uh, we, we were called um, uh, International Facilities Corporation in those days, IFC, and uh, uh, to to be our advisor, operational advisors and, and we'll engage... Company was then called HOK, became Populous, the great architects uh, to be the designers. We'll engage uh, KPMG uh, and uh, and and we'll get you to run. The, the government scheme, uh, but w- but we're going to seek expressions of interest externally. And in the end, um, I was in a position of having to judge the three bids that had come in from the groups led by, as I recall, it, uh, uh, Lend Lease, uh, Leighton, and, and Multiplex. And uh, and so I spent uh, about a month in assessing my job was to assess uh, operations and marketing and comment on. On design, uh, as it would affect operations, and there were other experts uh, assessing all the other parts of it, and and you know we we weren't allowed to have a pen or a piece of paper on us. We had security tags to get in and out, and it, it was a big. Big um, uh, assessment because because these tenderers had spent five or six million dollars each in in the late nineties putting in bid, so it was serious stuff, and uh, and I finished my uh, assessment and, and and I'd made a recommendation, and uh, so I won't go through what that recommendation is because it's still covered by confidentiality, but but, but I didn't recommend uh, the the bid that it ended up winning, and. And I didn't because I thought there were some things about the winning bid that just weren't going to work. Uh, In the end, government selected a winning bid uh, over a mix of things, including what the financial offer was for the state, and uh, that was their decision. And uh, after, I can't remember, three months or six months later, they came back to me and asked me to come to Sydney to explain why I had assessed... Uh, the bids the way that I had. So I came down, um, uh, you know, quite uh, openly and said, well, you know, here's uh, here's why I assessed them this way. And they said, okay, well, everything that you said would happen with that number, with the bidder that ended up winning um, at the time, they were my number two. Everything you said, that's what's happened. They've lost their operator. They've lost their caterer, uh, their marketing plan isn't isn't the way that it was going to be um it's in trouble so we are going to release you from being government's advisor and give you an opportunity for the the team that did end up winning even though you didn't recommend them uh, uh but they need an operator and so i said well when do I get to talk to them? And they said, well, if you go through that door, there's a second boardroom. And I walked in and there was, uh, you know, today still one of my uh, good friends, Andrew Roberts from Multiplex. Yeah. And um, uh, they were the winning bidder and, and they had a problem. And um, and that's how we became the operator of that project. And the Olympics was over? By the- no, it was before the Olympics. So we were there all oh, the way through oh. the build, uh, provided operator input, Uh Was never happy with what the design of the stadium was. Loved running it. Uh, You know, we were making them really, really... Good money, but not enough to meet the financial model that that particular tender had put forward their thirty five thousand extra seats mm. uh, running a stapled security model and floating it half of which sold um, so so it was under stress, and we sold out of that project after operating it for nine years. We sold out i think about. 2007 or 2008. So we'd opened it in 98 where we went through the Olympic games and then and then the um, then we sold out so that the ANZ could restructure it financially and more recently it's been bought by the New South Wales government so they now have the ultimate structure and now they can start again and work out what they're going to do. And there's a whole journey
0: now of venues, large scale venues in Sydney still to be undertaken. I, 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 I still believe personally that the Suncorp Stadium venue that you run in Brisbane remains as the icon of what should be a football stadium, and that uh, Sydney lacks because um, people will come to a venue like that. People ha- had to find a way, Harvey, to to get to to love going to Homebush. They they had to work it out. Car parking was. Rubbish, all sorts of things, that were really <clears throat> the result
2: of the Olympic Games design plans. In retrospect, um, New South Wales did some wonderful things with that precinct because it's kept all of those options open mm. uh, for the community for the future. But, but, but I think if if you wanted to put your finger on one thing that could have been done differently, it would have been a direct city through Homebush public. Mm. Uh, rail service mm. that, of course, uh, uh, Gladys Berejiklian's government yep, has announced it's now going to do. Mm. Uh, that's been needed for a long time. But I, but I think what's been interesting, that, that those venues have been there for 20 years now. There is a whole generation of people who have only Really got to consume their music or their sport entertainment in that environment. In fact, it's all they know. And and whilst there is some work to be done on those venues for the future, as for the experience of the uh, of the punter, the patron experience is, you know is the is the ultimate thing that counts. Uh, I think New South Wales is pretty well set up because what we're seeing in ticket sales now, because we're lucky, we actually get to know the postcodes of everybody who goes (laughs) to everything (laughs) everywhere. And these days, I've just done an exercise where we've compared a whole stack of events right back from Disney on Ice and the Wiggles all the way through uh, Keith Urban and the Dixie Chicks and through some rock shows and through uh, Jerry Seinfeld. And so we've been, a- and the Sydney Kings, we've been able to compare exact same events that have played at uh, the old Sydney Superdome or, or, or at Kitos Bank Arena, the Sydney Entertainment Centre, which we operated for the last couple of years for government to keep it open until mm-hmm. that went down, only because people weren't buying enough tickets to keep it open. Uh, and now the new ICC Sydney in, in, uh, in, in Darling Harbour. And, you know, the most amazing things uh, are, are emerging. The, the sales pattern for an act, whether they played the Sydney Entertainment Centre, the ICC Sydney... Or QDOS Bank Arena is pretty much the same, with the exception of this overlay of additional sales northwest, west, and southwest, and inner west of Sydney. So take Jerry Seinfeld. Right. We, 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 we uh, uh, did that with um, uh, Jeff Jones and TG and Paul Dainty. Yep. Um, uh, decided to put on two 8,000 seater. Dates at the new ICC Sydney, which is effectively the replacement venue for Sydney it's Entertainment time, so. Centre. Um, uh, six o'clock and nine o'clock show, those two shows sold out in the day. No problem. Added a 16,000 capacity date at uh, Kios Bank Arena. I uh, can't remember how long it was. It was a week or so later. Sold it out in a day. Sit down and look at where the ticket sales came from. We sold more tickets to the, to the third show that went on sale at Kudos Bank Arena from the eastern suburbs of Sydney than we sold at the ICC Sydney right downtown. We looked at the Sydney Kings and what their sales used to be and where that pattern was and what it is now. And, and for indoor sport, things like basketball and netball, things that we need to take into account in making sure that events are in the right venue, um, the venue might be right, but if it costs you $72 to park your car and you're paying $23 for a ticket for the netball then it's probably going to be a dissuasion mm. for netball to do that. And so for indoor sport, without a doubt, they want to be in the centre of where people live. And the difference between Sydney and Melbourne fundamentally in the design of the city is Sydney's CBD is right up against the harbour. So in a, if Sydney is a letter D and it's got this long straight side and that's the water and that's where the CBD is and everybody lives out from that... In Melbourne, Rod Labor Arena is very much like if you were building in Phoenix in Arizona. You start with a CBD and everything radiates out from it, and so three hundred and sixty. Yeah. So access for people in Melbourne is much easier than access for people in Sydney. So, so where the market is headed, where the ticket sales are headed, uh, is, is that Sydney Olympic Park is is a bit towards the CBD of the centre. Of where everybody buys tickets from, whether the event is in Darling Harbour or was at the old Entertainment <coughs> Centre, which is where it is now. So it's a it, it, we're fortunate that we have all these diagnostic tools these days, including across social media and everything. Um, no, it doesn't change where people's preference is to see something because I can go to Oxford Street afterwards. Yeah, you know, there's there's all of those things to emerge for cities as yet, but our our business isn't as easy as just booking an act and putting it on. We actually have to think about all those other things that are going on in people's lives about what else is on in Sydney Olympic Park on that night or is vivid on when we're doing something at the ICC and start to think about that whole experience for people to come. So as you built this empire, and boy,
0: have you done a good job, regrets, things Venues you've missed out on, Bus- oh. businesses that you feel you've been a part of that haven't haven't delivered as you would like it to. How how, how much of that graph has just gone straight up the hill?
2: Mm, um, you know, we, we've made lots of mistakes. Um, Failure is not a not a. Uh, I don't think so at all. In fact. I, I encourage our people to have a crack mm. and uh, don't make a mistake twice. But you know, we want to mentor people through their through their mistakes. Or frankly, no one makes decisions about anything. Look, that that's like asking a promoter. You know, is there a tour that you missed out on that you really would have liked? And everybody would have said to you, "Well, look, I like the first Neil Diamond tour that ever happened, or I would have liked, you know, one of the Michael Jacksons, or or I would have liked Barbara Streisand." Uh, so yeah, we have bid for some things, but but. I've, and I've said to promoters over the time, the most important word that you need to remember is pass. Nobody has ever gone broke from saying pass. And so sometimes we've put in a bid for something and said, we're going to pass in putting in a silly offer because, frankly, it's just not worth it or we just don't need to do that. So there is no ego for us in in doing silly deals. And yet you have a look back, I'm going to use him again because he was one of the, you know, and still one of the great concert acts of the world, but Neil Diamond and his management uh, back in the 70s used to have this saying about no promoter has ever made a dollar out of a tour with us. And that's because... Those promoters did overpay because they built themselves a reputation that they then lived on and got other tours because they did Neil Diamond or, and there were other acts like that as well, mm. some of them still going around. Now, um, th- that's not a game that we'll play. No. So we've never overpaid – uh, for a uh, uh, for, for a venue, but we're always sharing the bottom line with the owners or the government or, or a private owner of those venues. So it's never all straight to our bottom line. So we, re- we prefer the partnership model, but we want to be incentivized for doing it right. But for a
0: bloke who at one stage was sitting backstage at the Ingham Town Hall mixing the orange cordial, that... Journey of relationships that ends up with uh, a, 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 a business as successful as you have, th- there, there, there must have been times when it stopped for a while or has it always moved forward?
2: Uh, it's changed a little. I, I think that we've morphed into an organisation that has a family of arenas. Um, a family of convention exhibition centres. We currently have one sports stadium uh, in, 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 in the uh, in the division that uh, that I'm I'm responsible for. Uh, but some more to come soon. Uh, I don't have any problem about being in a business and selling out of that business at the right time for a good strategic reason. And we've done that a few times. Um, and I'm touching wood while I say that that you know we haven't had anything yet that I would call a disaster. But having started with fifty dollars in going out on the road to set up a sherbet tour, um, you know we, we've we've had times over the years where we've stood and looked over the edge of that cliff mm. and the financial cliff and said, you know, if this doesn't come off, or if if the banks receivers moved into the ownership group of ANZ of not ANZ same stadium australia if, they, if the receivers had moved in there we were just the operator but we would have lost our contract and we when we would have lost An investment that we had in 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 that stadium as well, and and that that would have been a real killer for us. So so we've tried not to put ourselves at that risk. And I think in in doing the deal with uh, AEG back in two thousand and seven, we built ourselves into as part of a uh, business that's a ten billion dollar business, not a not a million dollar business. And uh, and and now that gives us enormous comfort that we do get respect for the size of a balance sheet. And, and when we meet with governments uh, you know, through Asia particularly uh, and into the Middle East, they realise that they're dealing with one of you know, the world's great corporations in that space. That's not my business, uh, but I think that our partnering with AEG has given us that, uh, that uh, credibility in, in those spaces. helps a lot. This is From the Inside
1: with Peter Ricks. He's speaking with Harvey Lister, in a moment, they look at Harvey's all-time favourite moments in music and how he personally looks after those who pay the money to buy tickets to a live event. For Harvey, it's about more than just running a venue.
2: Best show you've ever seen? Michael Jackson. Yeah. Best, uh, best act I ever saw live was Michael Jackson. I get asked that question a lot, as I'm sure you do, Peter. Um, you know, there there is so much talent out there, and when I look at some of the great things I've seen in theatre, some of the, you know, in fact, my wife and I only just came back recently from uh, from New York, and, and and we went and saw uh, uh, Bette Midler in Hello Dolly. She was classic, just outstanding. Maybe maybe one of the most enjoyable nights of live theatre I've ever had. But I remember Bette Midler playing in Festival Hall in Brisbane in the 70s in the Joe Jobiocchi-Peterson days when there were power strikes and things and in the middle of her show she's in a wheelchair in a piece that she'd done in a movie dressed as a mermaid in a wheelchair rocking backwards and forwards singing and all the power went out, gone. Now, we had no idea whether the power was going to be off for two days or two hours. We had no idea. And so Bet sat there for a minute and the, the little old uh, ushers with their white shirts and black bow ties, At first of all, came down the front. They had their torches on. She asked them to put their torches on her. And so there was a single white spot on the stage, which was Bet, with about half a dozen, I won't say... Geri- geriatric ushers, but, you know, lovely old gentleman in black pants and white shirt and black bow tie with a torch on her. And she put her hands up for the whole crowd to be quiet, and everyone was quiet, and she continued that song and she sang a cappella. And she had no idea how many songs she was going to have to do before that power came back on, but she was going to finish that show. And I think it was about the second or third song into the blackout with rapturous applause between those songs and then the lights came back on and then she just put her hands up and and rolled back in. She's stuck in a wheelchair, you know, dressed as a mermaid and, um, uh, and she went back and then changed and then came out and did the rest of the set. You know, you look back... At those things that happen, you know, in excess, walking off a stage in Perth uh, about five years ago, the last time they broke up, um, had just done a blistering set uh, opening for Matchbox 20, I think it was. Yes, it was. I'm standing uh, near the stairs at the, at the you know, near the backstage corridor waiting to talk to the uh, promoter. Actually, the band walked down those stairs. They stopped halfway down the stairs and turn around and said, we should call it quits, that's it, band's over. And then they came down and told the manager, we've just broken up. Just, you You look back at those things. You, you, El, Elton John doing that wonderful tour as Beethoven mm. with the full symphony orchestra, his first date in the world was in Brisbane. And uh, we'd rehearsed a show at the Entertainment Centre, full 86-piece symphony orchestra, um, and by about six o'clock when we we're about to open the house and Elton had finished his final sound check, he'd realised that he, he, he thought he wasn't going to be able to do the show. So he was off. So he said, that's it. I'm not going on. Now, this is opening night for the world. So media everywhere, you know, Molly and everybody else there to see this spectacular piece. And uh, Elton went out. He was in the car being driven out of the rear courtyard, going back to the hotel with his tour manager hang, hang, holding onto the door handles all the way out to that rear gate and convinced him to come back in. And so they settled him down. He agreed to go on mind-blowing show. Mm. And... Uh, I think that it's those little moments, you know, it's it's that conference moment where it's a physics, international physics conference, and a great Swiss physicist stands up on stage and announced to the physics world that he's just discovered the God particle. It's, it's, it's those things that I say to our employees that you actually get a chance to be part of those things happening because live entertainment, live sport, live events is about something potentially happening every single night you open the house or open the curtain that will make history. It's that mind-blowing try by Wally Lewis or Darren Lockyer. It's that pass from Cameron Smith. It's... It, it's, it, it's Gaga jumping on stage with an actor at Kudos Bank Arena to perform some great 60s song, you know, out of the blue. It's, it's somebody else who just happens to be in the house because they're shooting a movie on the Gold Coast and the act get to find out and they invite them up and then Bruce Springsteen does something with somebody really special. Or he does the knee slides across the floor with some eleven year old kid um, and, you know they're the things that when you look back that um, that that really make this business different and and you don 't get to experience those things sitting in a corporate box or not being at the venue. You actually have to be there and so one of the things that i 've tried to do in mentoring our our people and 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 the tens of tens of thousands of casual employees that we use to tell them that it's okay to care for people who come, because we, we see the little tricks that people try and pull we you know we, we would see the three girls that would come to a concert um, and before they'd been ticketed to go into the auditorium, they go into the ladies to come out and go in. After two songs, one girl comes out, she goes into the toilet, she stays there, gives her ticket to a friend, she goes in only for two songs. See, they could only afford two tickets yeah. and there's three of them. So, so one thing that, that I do where I can, and you can't do this everywhere, is I collect parents because we worked out a long time ago that when kids are coming to a concert event. Remember, we're dealing now in an era where my parents could never afford for, they couldn't have afforded for me to go and see the Beatles. No. I was, I was in grade eight or something at school. Um, But they did want to take me to the theatre and and, and let me get that experience. But, you see, our generation, we actually grew up going to concert things. And so we love taking our kids. We love taking them, starting at the Wiggles and doing Disney on Ice and, 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 and other things. So there's a whole new generation out there. And there is, an, and we're now in the second generation of Disney on Ice. We have people who came to Disney on Ice who now bring their children to Disney on Ice. See, so we're in that, ne- that next level. And so, so I go around and I collect parents. I know that whilst there's 12,000 people inside an arena, there's 250 parents who are going to stay there the whole night because their kids are inside. And the only thing they see is two security guys come out of a door and run through the foyer and go in the next door. Now, straight away, must be a terrorist. Threat? There's a problem. No, it's not. No, the writer says that nobody's allowed to have a professional camera, or you can or somebody's standing on a seat, or something, and you know the insurance companies crawl all over us if you don't deal with that. So those things are going on all the time. So I, I particularly in um, in Brisbane where I live, um, I get the, the staff. They, I think they think, you know, here comes this maniac again. But but I do it deliberately. So I go and I walk around the foyers and I collect parents. Say. Would you like to come in and see a bit of the show? Because I want to show you how we look after your kids. And I could end up with a couple of hundred of them sometimes. And I'll stand them in the main floor and I'll say, now, show's on now. Um, So this is a show. It's got a GA floor. I explain what that is. I'll tell them there's a barrier. There's a second D barrier. You'll see some standing areas behind that where we've got security. They've got water spray for the kids. They've got water bottles. You'll see where we've got first aid and, you know, we've plenty of security you'll see and lots you won't see and and so here's how we look after your kids and this is what happens. Now, I'm going to take you and I can only take about 70 at a time and I have a particular door in that venue that I can walk them in and a standing area behind a wheelchair seating area and out the next door. I am the world's expert of taking parents in at the most inappropriate time in any concert you can imagine. Um, I, I tend to pick those songs really well. But I, t- I take them in and I let them stand there, and the staff know. So the supervisors come around; they just get their torches out. They know to put these people in there. I've had arguments with tour accountants for forty years in this business. Uh, the
0: tour accountant,
2: and who's saying, you know, what are these people doing coming in without a ticket? I said, don't worry, I'm just investing in the future of our industry, and we're going to be around longer than you are. So, so I bring them in. I let them see the end of whatever. That song is because then they get the rapturous applause and those things and I let them watch the whole of the next song and then I walk them out the other end and I'll take in the next group. And all of the casual staff who see this maniac doing this realise, you know what, it's actually okay to care for what people's... Event experiences, mm. and it's okay to recognise that parents sometimes have made a major um, uh, contribution—not only of time, but uh, uh, of money, and also of faith in us that we're going to look after their kids. And 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 since uh, since Manchester recently, you know, that, that could never be further from the <laughs> truth. But I do remember on a on a uh, Taylor Swift show, uh, I was collecting parents. And there were two ladies, they probably were in their late thirties. And when I asked them, would they like to come in? They both just burst into tears. They were actually sitting in the tavern area, just having a cup of coffee. And uh, and I said, are you okay? They said, we, we saved up for these two tickets, both of us. We We wanted to come to this concert. And as soon as we told our teenage daughters, they were single mothers, as soon as we told our two teenage daughters, who were best mates, that that we were going to treat ourselves and go, the girls were devastated because they really wanted to see Taylor Swift. And you know what? They deserved to see it more than we did because we've had those experiences and they haven't yet. So they're inside and we're out here. So... Occasionally we get to break the rules. I did find two spare seats somewhere near the wheelchair area that weren't being used and I know those ladies enjoyed that uh, show immensely um, and, but the, but the the letters and things that we get from from parents and we do it also for bus drivers and Cab drivers and things. Yeah, those bus drivers, Peter. You you recall they've taken a punt. They've bought forty tickets. Uh, They live in Toowoomba. They they it's a private bus. They do the school runs. Uh, There's a Metallica concert. They've sold, they've got to sell those whole 45 tickets. If they miss two, they've lost money on the night. They've got to drive them two or two and a half hours from Toowoomba. They'll come to the show. Then they've got those uh, metalheads for two and a half hours all the way home again. Uh, High as
0: a kite they
2: are by then. uh, It makes such a difference for us to be able to take the bus driver in. Yeah, yeah. And let him at least see because he, he's not a scalper. He's actually made, he's, he's made a serious investment and, and that's, that's a strong market. On any one of those nights, we could have 50 of those coaches are in. That's 50 people who've taken mm. a and, punt and, and bought that block of tickets. And they're not gouging. It's, it's not like uh, gouging and resale and all of those things. They, they, these are people who are part of, of our whole um, entertainment industry and and it's not just the events we do it's events other people do as well so 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 I think we've got an obligation to keep looking at that stuff and that's what shows that's what empowers our venue managers and our our customer service managers our front of house people and our security people to realize that what we do is deliver experiences for people we don't run venues mm.
0: Harvey Lister, you are a national treasure, (laughs) to say the least. Congratulations on the journey. I I presume there's a lot more to go. Oh, I haven't finished yet. No, good. And I hope you don't. Um, Thank you for visiting from the inside and all good fortune in your future endeavours and bless you and thank you for coming to visit us today. Thank you, Peter.
1: Harvey Lister. In the next episode of From the Inside, Peter Ricks speaks to Chris Murphy, legendary manager of InXS. From starting out in his family's agency business to striking out on his own and taking an Australian band to the global stage, Chris Murphy's story has been an amazing ride that is far from over. That's next time on From the Inside. From the Inside is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.